Paul has had so many varied experiences. You just kind of sit down and, and you listen, and I tell you what, he just kind of, it'll amaze you. Uh, Paul was an event planner. And one of the events that he planned for many years was the Super Bowl. He'd done events for presidents. He's been around. He knows a lot of people. He knows them by first names, bases, people that we just only hear about. Paul was telling me yesterday that, uh, you know, he done all these Super Bowls, but Super Bowl doesn't interest him anymore. Paul's interest is his preaching the gospel, reaching souls. It, anything that he talks about, it always turns back to souls. That's his heart. He represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many years ago, Paul was uh, in the same uh, service with the pastor. Good luck. And that's where they met. And there was a friendship that developed that's gone for many years now. And pastor later on introduced me to him, and now I can say that Paul's my friend. I'm so glad to know him. I enjoy being with him. I enjoy when he's here and we get to go out and we eat and we fellowship. And I would have to say that Paul is a friend to this church. He is uh, just to know him is to love him. But he speaks pretty straight. The Word of God. And he's here to touch your heart tonight today. There will be souls saved today. There will be lives transformed today because of the spoken word today. Brother Paul Ridgeway, won't you come and have your liberty. Kind. That was kind. Andy, you're wonderful. What a kind, kind introduction. You know, I'm a living, walking miracle. Uh, Six weeks ago, I had MRIs. I had two blocked arterial corroded arteries going to my brain, and uh, one was fully blocked. I have a right now, even still, it's going away, but I have complete uh, a, a kind of a paralyzed feeling in my ear and face. And the other side, so do, two doctors looked. One was a Christian, Sean, Dr. Sean O'Mara, former White House physician. He said, "I really feel God led me to be involved newly as your doctor to help you because God's got plans for you for souls." And then my own personal doctor. It was very bad. My wife went to the MRI, saw the pictures, they're horrible. My own fault, I didn't quit eating. I, you know, they say insanity is not expecting a different thing when you don't change. And I didn't change when I was warned 13 months ago when they were half blocked. Now they're fully blocked. I'm in trouble. My wife sees this. Then my own personal doctor got back in town a week later. He sees it, says, you got to go to the hospital and have an, a sonogram. Ladies, you know that from your children, childbirth. This is how blocked it is. Well, what I did was I went to the Lord. I had a brother in Christ anoint me with oil. I had a couple of brothers in Christ pray for me. And I went to the hospital three weeks ago, and the guy who's been doing sonograms for 12 years said, Mr. Ridgeway, I have to tell you something. 
Your arteries not only blo- not blocked, they look as good as a young person's. God healed me. And I had another brother in Christ, Steve Ugin, who's an attorney, attorney who heads Trinity Works. He said, oh, Paul, don't count on God being there the next time. You better do your part. So some of you, you might know I've lost about 21, 22 pounds. I've got to lose another 39, 60 pounds, but I'm going to do it. And I just can't not get it. Gabe, I, when I watch Gabe playing the drums, I think about that guy in the Muppets, you know, the orange-haired guy that plays his drums. Man. Yeah, right, right. And also just Amy Cooper. What an anointing on this group. Wow. One of the strongest anointings I've ever felt in all the years I've preached. I'm serious. I was just, and just the fact that it's Father's Day, the message from the music, I was just weeping up front here on my knees before the Lord. And, but I want to say thank you to the music group. It was phenomenal. And uh, well, I love the song. I've never heard that before. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. Hallelujah. I want to thank you, Pastor Andy, and for the hospitality for you and Irina. You've shown me, and I want to thank Ennis Fernandez for taking a call from me yesterday from the hotel. Uh, you're going to see something that's going to make you cry on the video, a true story, something happened in Minnesota five years ago, but it's very appropriate for Father's Day. And it is a privilege for me to fill in for my dear friend, Pastor Goodluck. You are so fortunate to have a godly leader like Pastor Andy, who loved the gospel, preached the gospel. I can't tell you how many churches I've been in that I've visited. They're so godless that one of them told me we don't even believe in the Holy Spirit anymore. And ladies, those of you that are married or dating, God has told me why he brought me here today. Seriously, supernaturally told me this morning as I've been up most of the night praying and just preparing. But God has brought me here for a very specific reason of healing today. Healing some of you had bad fathers, as did I. I'm blessed that Pastor Al came in and talked to me. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But God brought me here for healing. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm begging you to come to him. I can't tell you the numerous stories of people I've had the chance to lead to Christ, including my sister Lorraine, six hours before she died five years ago. Because she could never love God because my father was so evil. She could never understand that God is a loving father because my father was not that to her. And so it's a privilege to be here. And ladies, those that are married, I want to have a little fun today at Father's Day. Uh, if you're dating a man right now, if you're married, you know men sometimes don't always say what we mean. Andy, could I get my handkerchief there? I'm sorry, I forgot it. I, I'm so distracted by the Spirit. Just, the, I was so blessed by the music, I can't tell you. Thank you, sir. Irina, you're going to appreciate this. Men don't always say what we mean. Ladies, please listen. You tra- well, I'll translate for you for future benefit, okay? When a man says it would take too long to explain, he means I have no idea how it works. Ladies, when a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, he really means I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. When a man says, hush, sure, honey, uh, oh, yes, dear, he means absolutely nothing. It's a conditioned response. When a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself, it's no big deal. Andy, what he really means is I have probably severed a limb. I'll bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt, so get over here and help me, Mom. When a man says, you look terrific, he really means, oh, please don't try on one more outfit. We're late and I'm starving. <laughs> and finally, my favorite, my favorite, when a man says, ladies, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. He means no one will ever see us alive again. <laughs> Having been married for 42 years to the most awesome woman and prayer warrior in the world, Rosalind Ridgeway, she will confirm that is what I probably 
and we men mean when we say something, but we really mean something else. And it's so cool to see Goodluck's two sons here. I think of them as young little boys, and one's going to medical school, and one's going to Rice, and I just go, God, you see the results of a godly family. I don't remember the names, but in the 1770s, excuse me, they tracked two families, one a godly family in the East Coast, another one a godless family, and their generations were completely opposite. One prison, wickedness and evil, and the godly family, president of the United States, vice presidents, senators, pastors, etc. Difference in the, in the uh, life of families who are led to Christ. You know, a family had three small children who were determined to have a puppy. Mom protested because she knew that somehow or other, as you mothers know, she would end up caring for the little critter. True to form, the children solemnly promised that they would take care of their new dog. Eventually, the mother relented, and they brought their little puppy home. And the children named him Danny and cared for him diligently at first. But sure enough, as time passed, Mom found herself becoming more and more responsible for taking care of Danny the dog. Finally, she decided that the children were not living up to their promise, so she began to search for a new home for Danny. When she found one and broke the news to the children, she was quite surprised that they had almost no reaction to it. One of them even said rather matter-of-factly, we'll miss him. Well, I'm sure we will, the mom answered, but he is too much work for one person, and since I'm the one that has to do all the work, I say he goes. But, protested another child, if he wouldn't eat so much, it wouldn't be so messy, could we keep him? Mom held her ground, it's time to take Danny to his new home. Suddenly, with one voice and with tears in their eyes, the children exclaimed, Danny? We thought you said Daddy. Ladies, I go back to you and give, and guys, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm telling the truth. We men are different. One night, a wife found her husband standing over their baby's crib of their first brand new baby boy. He silently, she watched him as she, as he stood looking down at the sleeping infant, and she saw in his face a mixture of emotions, disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment, and even skepticism. Touched by the unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused, with her eyes glistening, she slipped her arm around her husband's waist and said, A penny for your thoughts. It's amazing, the husband replied. I just can't see how anybody can make a crib like that for only $46.50. <laughs> you know, one of my favorite columnists, uh, and you might remember, some of you remember Irma Bombeck? Irma Bombeck, I think, was one of the greatest columnists. She said about we fathers, quote, Daddy was a clumsy creature, but he was safe at any speed, unquote. And that's the way most of us dads are. We're not quite good enough. The author, Mark Twain, said it best about we dads. He said, when I was a boy of 14, father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> Today, across America, we're honoring fathers since 1922, the third Sunday in June has been set aside to pay tribute to our fathers. And God commands us to do that in Exodus 20:12, To, quote, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God is giving to you, unquote. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as I speak this morning, Father's Day, just speak through me. Thank you for fathers. We're not perfect, but thank you for fathers. For fathers that aren't perfect, let us forgive them. But most importantly, Lord, the, God, the only perfect father is you. And as this song said today, we can come to you because you love us. Amen. 
Men, listen this morning to the instruction that God has given us in Psalm 78, 5-7. And this is what God says, For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded to our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may raise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments." Fathers, God has commanded us to teach our children and point our children to Him. And here's why. So that our children may have confidence in God and keep His commandments. The New Testament tells us the same things in Ephesians 6, 4. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord. I didn't always follow that because I didn't have a role model as a father. But there were times that I had to weep at my knees at my son's bed and apologize for overreacting. Because we fathers, the Bible says, do not provoke your children to wrath. And the next verse says, children, honor your father, your days might be long. I had to learn that because I had no role model. And by the way, the term admonition means to put something into mind. Fathers, you're putting something in the minds of your children, namely the Word of God. Psalms 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I realize that Father's Day sermons can be difficult for some of us, who have lost your father, or your father was a godly man, a good man. Others have lost their husbands, and you dearly miss them. But sadly, there are some of us who did not have perfect dads, or even very good dads, and certainly not the dads that God wanted them to be. Even the desk clerk at my hotel, I talked to her and asked her, what was your father like during the night? She said he was abusive to my mother, he left us, and I never saw him again. I have no pictures of my father growing up. Maybe your father or dad was not the kind of father God wanted him to be. He might have been cold or not showing love or saying love to you. Maybe he never told you he loved you. Maybe one that harmed you personally, physically, spiritually, or harmed your mother or your siblings. And some fathers have done horrible things to their families, sexual misconduct or physical and mental abuse to their families. Not all of us have a dad like Pastor Andy told me about. He had growing up on a ranch where his dad had come to Christ and read God's Word and prayed daily with the family. The Word of God showed and his father's love showed to his family at work. And because they lived on the ranch together, Pastor Andy said he could see his father work and play with them and he saw a man of God every day. Then I had a chance to visit with Pastor Al. He had the opposite. Even worse than me. His father beat his mother. His father beat them. He was a tough Marine. Abuse was rampant in his family. Even one time his father put a gun in his mouth. That's not the father God wants. And yet there's redemption. Look at Pastor L today. See, it does not matter what your father's like or was like. And men, it doesn't matter what kind of father you are to now, today. You can change after today. But only you can do that through the Holy Spirit of God. My wife said when we were first married... I had the governor at our wedding, the vice president of the United States, governors, mayors, everything. But you know what? I never understood what being a dad was, being a husband was, because I never had a role model. And there were several years that I was abusive to my verbal. I didn't realize it. I never touched her. In fact, I told my wife, if I ever touch you, here's the lawyers. You can have everything. But I didn't realize you can also be verbally abusive. didn't understand that. Oh, I've repented long ago. God has changed my heart. He's trained me to be a different kind of husband and a different kind of father. And he'll do that for each one of you, wherever you're at in your journey as being a father. 
I know that some of us cannot say what my dear, dear friend and professor, Dr. John Stoll, says. One of the most brilliant minds, written one of the greatest books called Principles for Growth. I think it's one of the greatest books I've ever read. Read it many times. He says his dad was his hero and lived an upright and righteous life forever and ever and ever. He never saw his dad waver from that. We all wish we had dads who were fun and decent and maybe had said some things that the following us to us because we know even what they said, they cared about us. And you were, if you were one of those lucky persons that had a dad like that, you are blessed. You're blessed to have a father like Andy had. Someone said, parents spend the first part of a child's life urging them to talk and walk, and the rest of their childhood telling them to sit down and keep quiet. One father said to his teenage son, quote, Do you mind if I use the car tonight? I'm taking your mother out to eat, and I'd like to impress her. Another father said to his daughter, What's wrong, Judy? Usually you talk about on the phone for hours. This time you only talk for 30 minutes. How come? And Judy replied, It was the wrong number. Harvard University psychologist Samuel Usherman wrote in his book, Finding Our Fathers, the Unfinished Business of Manhood. He wrote about his own troubled relationship with his father as a springboard to his research for the meaning of fatherhood. He bases his experience on his own difficult relationship with his father, and he did a study of 370 Harvard graduates over a 20-year period. He concludes that if you don't come to terms with past relationships, especially with your parents, you may be condemned to reproduce them. We become, in essence, what we swore we would never be. He goes on to describe a, quote, remote sadness, unquote, in his relationship with his own father and broadens that to conclude that very few men report a close and secure relationship with their fathers. Of course, that is not what God wants for any of us. You know, a greeting card, a few company, a greeting card company a few years ago went to a men's prison and offered free cards for Mother's Day and Father's Day to all the prisoners. Every man took a Mother's Day card. Not one man took a Father's Day card. And ladies, some of you have had bad experience with your dads. And Pastor Al, I still can't get over it. I was just so grateful that you and then Pastor Andy talking about your father said, preparing me that Pastor Al said he went into a men's meeting in Murrillville, Indiana in 2004. hundred men in this men's meeting. And he said, would you raise your hand if you had a great relationship with your father? And over a hundred men, only one man raised his hand in the front row. Only one man. Even President Reagan's son, Ronald Reagan Jr., said it was hard to get to know his father because the president's own father was an alcoholic and was often gone from the home as President Reagan was growing up. But fortunately, Ronald Reagan Jr. says his father tried to make up for not having a dad as a role model for himself by being genuinely a kind and nice person. You know, folks, God makes it up for us because he cares for us, as you saying. He loves us. There's no perfect dad. I love Donna Reed. I love Father Knows Best. Well, you at my age or older, you grew up with that. But there's no perfect father except one. And the parable of the prodigal son is really a picture of the perfect father. By, by the way, many Bible scholars says that it is the most perfect parable in the Bible. And Jesus tells us this story. If you've got your Bible, will you turn with me to Luke 15, 11 through 32? If not, I guess you can read it on the screen. Am I right on that? Okay. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, and I'll read it. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father! 
Give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all together he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to field to feed pigs. By the way, the worst thing that a Jewish boy could ever do. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When I worked for Hubert Humphrey as vice president and senator, he reminded me, he said, friendship's never known in good times. It'll be revealed in bad times. It's amazing when you have money and wealth, people just love you. But wait till you're in trouble, you'll find out who your real friends are. This guy finds out he didn't have any friends. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him, and kissed him. By the way, absolutely the opposite of what any Jewish father would do in that century. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. And the older brother became very angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your order. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate me glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. See, this father, Jesus is saying, is God himself, his own father. And as you know, Jesus says, if just one sheep out of 99 is missing, what happens? The shepherd goes looking for him. And tragically, the other brother was religious. He looked good, but he didn't know God. Oh, he looked good. He came to church every Sunday. But he never had a compassion or love for his brother who erred and fell. What does the story tell us? Pastor John Huffman Jr. has some good observations. Number one, this father is a model father that Jesus is telling we men that we need to be. The model father teaches the truth from infancy up about God. The model father that Jesus tells us about in this story has respect for the individual autonomy of his children coming to him and making decisions that are not always good ones. Note that it was not unusual for a Jewish father to distribute his estate before he died if he wished to retire from actual management of his business. By the way, the oldest son in the Jewish home got two-thirds of the estate. The younger son got a third. Even though this younger son was saying, Dad, life is too short for me. I can't wait till you die or retire. I'm going to Get away, get away anyway. Give it to me now. I'm bored. I'm hemmed in. I want out. By the way, the model father won't stand in the way of consequences. My son, when he was 16, he and I had an argument outside our backyard in the deck near our swing pool. And he got so angry, he jumped over the fence. 
10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night and disappeared in the evening. Very cold winter night. It was the longest three, four hours of my life that I waited. I wanted to run after my son, but felt the Lord told me the cold, that cold winter night to wait for him. And that was the hardest thing I could do. I wanted to call all over town to see what friend's house he went to, but felt compelled by the Lord to wait. God was allowing the consequences of my son's poor decision to sink into him. He had nowhere to go that night as it was late, and three or four hours later returned. And his dad, me, met him at the front door, overjoyed. I was in joy and love, not anger. I was so happy to see my son return that I hugged and kissed him all over this dear son of mine. For he was lost, and now he was found. So I can better understand the father in this story when his son returns. The model father has a love that refuses to give up. The model father is forgiving. The model father is a celebrate person, celebrates. The model father is willing to live with ambiguity. We don't know the end, by the way, of this story. As Pastor Huffman writes, we do know that the other son got angry. He wasn't the least bit interested in being part of the celebration. Jesus had a very interesting way of bringing the story to a conclusion. It ends with the father's response to the elder brother, sneering accusations that there had never been a party for him, but is no good but for nothing brother got one. And what's the father's response? He acknowledges the faithfulness of the older brother. He makes no demands for performance on the younger brother. Life goes on. None of us knows the future, do we? Pastor Hoffman concludes by saying that our final reward for the model father will not be, wasn't I a good dad? But the final reward will be when the real model father, God himself, looks us in the eye and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into eternal rest. Not any of us fathers are perfect, often far from it, because we are human and sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are no right, none righteous, no, not one. But the Bible does show us some fathers that were pretty close. Father Abraham... Noah, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. And some of you have experienced dads that you know would give their lives for you. My children know that. Even though I don't want my own father, I don't know what my own father would have done if I was dying. I don't, folks. I don't know if he would have given up his life for me or my sisters or my mother, certainly not. I just don't know. But I know that I would at any time. And how do I know that? My son was two years old. My wife heard him. My wife was a very light sleeper. Two-year-old son, our first child. My wife heard him rustling in the bedroom down the hall. She ran down there. He was in a seizure, moving all over. He swallowed his tongue. His eyes had gone back white. We had no idea. She screamed. The most terrifying scream I've ever heard. I ran down the stairs, almost went through the front door without opening, ran across the street to a dentist who lived across the street, begged him to come and help us. By the time I got back, the seizure had ended. But we called the hospital. The police came. They explained a rapid rise of temperature had caused it. We went to the hospital. But as I ran down to the door, I can tell you truthfully, I said, God, if my son's going to die tonight, kill me. Let me take his place. But please don't let him die. My beloved other child, my sweetheart daughter, Christina, got sick. I wept from the depth of my heart while she was ill and in the hospital. And I said, God, let me die. But let nothing happen to my baby doll. And God made her well. Almost every day I tell my two children, Paul and Christina, unlike what I experienced growing up, that I love both of them with all my heart. I tell them personally daily by either phone, 
by email, letters, how much I love them, how much they mean to me as my two beloved children. And they're not too old that their old dad hugs and kisses them on their cheeks. And my daughter says, oh, dad. But you know what? I know she likes her father kissing her on her cheek. My daughter-in-law, Christina, Helen, and my two awesome, wonderful grandchildren, Sophia, who's five, and Isabel's two, um, they call me Boppy. Boppy's my name. Uh, they know that Boppy loves them with all of his heart. And you that are grandparents, how many grandparents here? A lot of grandparents, amen, luckiest people in the world. We know that if we had known being a grandparent, grandparent and having grandchildren was so wonderful and awesome, we would have had them first. See, God gave up His life for us. John 3.16 tells it, the most famous verse, you all know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever will believe in Him will not perish, it's a promise, but have eternal life. But most people don't quote John 3.17. For God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be saved. In fact, Jesus Himself tells us that He willingly gave up His life for us to die on the cross of Calvary for all of our sins. The Bible says, while we were even yet sinners... Christ died for us. Now that is love. The perfect, blameless Savior dying for horrible sinners like us. Sinners like the prodigal son and his older brother was not very righteous at all. And for you here today who had dads that you know would give up their life and gladly and willingly for you, like Andy's dad, you'll appreciate the news story that was aired in Minnesota in 2010. In the town of Mentor, Minnesota, Wes Michaels, a father, was willing to sacrifice his own life to save his daughter. It was his birthday. He was 58 that day. A tornado came into their town and destroyed the Senex gas station and convenience store that he owned. His daughter was working the day. He was off because it was his birthday. But he ran back for his family. Please watch. A tragic story in Minnesota as a tornado tears through a town and a father gives up his life to save his daughter. This is what remains of a convenience store owned by 58-year-old Wes Michaels. His daughter Heidi was working the cash register when the weather turned bad. Michaels went to check on her and rushed her to the store's cooler for safe cover, but the tornado hit before they could reach it. That's when Michaels threw his body on top of his daughter to protect her from the crush of the rubble. Michaels was killed. His daughter lived. Heidi Michaels was working here at her father Wes's gas station, giving him a day off on his 58th birthday, but he wouldn't be able to take a day off from being a dad. When he heard the storm warnings, he rushed to Heidi's side. He had already saved me because he was he had been behind me and he was covering me. Wes shielded Heidi and the others from the swirling, slicing debris, putting himself in harm's way to save them. I mean, he is the biggest hero. He was my hero because he loved me so much for doing it. You know, my hero is God. Well, I was a sinner. He sent his son willingly, and his son went willingly to die for my sins. God did that for you and me. The Bible says the greatest gift is to lay down your life for another. Jesus did it for every person that's been born in this world and every person here today. I still find it amazing that a perfect God sent his perfect son for we that are imperfect and sinful people to make us his children and someday to live with him forever, but also today to experience him as our Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit living in us. That is what Jesus calls being born again. And by the way, folks, Jesus says you cannot enter heaven without being born again. Very clear. 
I wish I'd grown up in a godly family who instilled love and trust in my home as a child, but I grew up in a home not at all like that. My mother loved Jesus with all her heart and was a kind, loving person. But my father was a cruel taskmaster. He beat my mother for 19 straight years repeatedly. In front of, he beat her in front of her 11 children, and my sister saw him strangle my mother on the freezer, beat her to a pulp on the floor. I realize that some of you here today might have grown up in a home even worse than mine. I think Pastor Al did. And your father might have done even more evil, possibly sexually hurting you or constantly tearing you down or not telling you he loved you, maybe even saying horrible words that you were dumb, not loved, ugly, and on and on and on. My home was a little different but still horrible. Please let me briefly tell you. My father's name was Dewey. My mother's name was Mabel. She loved Jesus with all her heart. She was 11 years younger than my father. He did not love the Lord. My mother did. He did not honor my mother at all. And by the way, men, other than God, it's the most important thing for fathers to honor your wife, to honor your mother. He did not lead us to obey God. Only a few of us could go to church with Mom to the Salvation Army where Captain and Mrs. Nelson would faithfully pick us up each week and pile we kids into their car. He was a mean alcoholic who still instilled terror when he got drunk and even became more profane. My dear godly mother suffered the brunt of his evil by continued beatings over 19 years of marriage. It was a house of terror for me and many of my siblings. We at times went without food or clothing. I remember eating water with milk soaked in it with sugar. That's all we had because my father had drunk away the little he made as a laborer. But dear Mrs. Carlson, who I thanked and honored as I became very successful in business, I had to thank my elementary teacher, who when the Ridgeway family came to the school with no coats, gloves, broken buttons on our coats, she went and lost and found and found us clothes and boots and mittens so we would be okay. My sister Lorraine, who was the oldest, and my sister Dorothy, two years older than me, saw horrible beatings. Lorraine left and got pregnant and married at the age of 16, only a couple months before my father will die. Dorothy would have a tough life being married three times, as was my sister Lorraine, always searching for the right man. I even have another sister who married seven times and got divorced seven times because she was working for the, looking for the right man that she never met in our home as father. At age three or four, my, from age three to four, my mother got very ill for a year, and I was blessed to go to a foster home with the Salvation Army, the Lundquist home. Godly people. For one year, I went from hell into heaven. But you understand that a four-year-old doesn't understand what's happening. One year later, at age four, I had to go back into hell because my mother had gotten well. And my foster mother said for one whole year, when I saw her, I never spoke to her again until my dad would die because I didn't understand why I had been in heaven for a year and had gone back into hell forever. I had no role model for a father, or later even a husband or father. I had to learn it on my own through the Lord and the Bible. And by the way, my sister Lorraine, my oldest sister, would not come to Christ until at her deathbed. I led her to Christ six hours before she died in Seattle by phone. And three people confirmed to me that she had come to Christ. But her husband Jerry told me the reason why she never received Christ all those 72 years of her life was that she could never see her father or God as a loving father because of my father. If my father had shown love, concern, compassion to my brothers and sisters to me in loving, trusting way, it'd be a whole different story. And by the way, it will end. In 1955, my mother will not share what happened for 36 years until two weeks before she died in 1991. She told my brother and my sister-in-law that my dad had beat her that day. We were at school. I was six years old. My mother said as she got off the kitchen floor, the Holy Spirit spoke to her. And she looked at my father, Dewey, who was 55 years of age, plenty of time to have received Christ, and said no. And she said she looked at Dewey, and the Holy Spirit spoke to her, and she said, Dewey, 
God will not allow you to beat me anymore. And he dropped dead instantly in front of her. You know, I wish that my father had been different. And let me just tell you this. A three-year-old daughter, true story, was having trouble sleeping through the night. I wish I had a father that I could have called as this little girl did. Some of you have fathers like this or had fathers like this. You are fathers like this. This little girl often woke up several times a night because she was afraid. Each time as her father tucked her into bed, he would kindly remind her that Jesus was with her and he would keep her safe. Several nights in a row, this little girl did this over and over again. Finally, one night, her father asked if, he, if she had prayed to Jesus to take her fear away and help her fall asleep. And this little girl said to her kindly, loving father, Oh, yes, she assured him. I prayed to Jesus, and he told me to come and get you. Another true story of a child who knew her father, loved her, and cared for her. The little girl was frightened by a fierce thunderstorm. She cried out in fear. True story. And her father rushed to her bedside. As he held in his arms, he explained that she didn't need to fear. God could take care of her because he loved her unconditionally. Oh, I know God will take care of me and love me, she replied. But right now, Daddy, I want somebody with skin on. Each of those kids were afraid, and each of them sought comfort from their fathers. I love it when my granddaughters come to boppy me to be hugged and loved because they know I love them. And folks, we can all do the same. We can all go to our Heavenly Father and know that when we are afraid or need help, He is always there for us, the perfect Father, just as the music said today. Just like the Father Jesus told us about the story of the prodigal son, that Father Jesus was talking about represents His own Father, our Heavenly Perfect Father, who loves all of humanity. My friend, pastor and chaplain John Carlson in Minneapolis said that studies show that fundamental changes in a man once he becomes a father, and some of our fathers want to provide their families if you're a good father, Good fathers want to ensure safety of their household. John Carlson says, one of the tragedies is what my dad did to my family. A good father wants to prepare his children for their future life. In Psalm 71, 7, it says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. To be a great daughter or father of men, we must first love our wife. Ephesians 5:25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Also, take a look at Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And in Proverbs 22.6, it says to parents, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. I, have t- I tell my wife every day that I love her. Every day. Many times, multiple times. And she knows it. Friday night before I left to come to Texas, we had Father's Day dinner with my son, who has two children, my grandkids, myself. When my wife and I drove back home that night, we said the greatest gift we have of all, other than knowing Jesus, is that our family loves one another and they love Jesus. What a difference my sister and other siblings would have had experience if our father had loved the Lord Jesus Christ, showed love and honor to my dear godly mother, and given us as children a trust and faith instead of fear and terror. In Psalms 103:13, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. And Proverbs 3.23 says, excuse me, 3.32 says, For the Lord detests a perverse man, but takes the upright into his confidence. Men, I don't care what kind of dad you've been, whatever kind of dad you had, but today you can change being a great dad. You can become an awesome dad by obeying the Lord. And for those of you here this morning that were hurt by your fathers, men and women, young and old, God told me there are some of you that have experienced that, so I'm here today. God has sent me here today, I understood this morning in the hotel room, that the Holy Spirit was to bring healing to this meeting. Now is the time to forgive. We are to forgive everyone, even as our Father in heaven has forgiven us. 
And for you that have great fathers and husbands, you have a great praise. Several years ago, I prayed to the Lord forgiving my own father for the harm emotionally he had caused me. Al did the same thing, and he's been reconciled with his father the last 18 years. I didn't have that privilege because my dad dropped dead that day and went into a Christless eternity. I get no joy telling people that. But God will not be mocked. The Bible says the day is the day of judgment. The day of the day is the decision. Because we don't know how long we're going to live. I was just with a man at our radio station. I host the afternoon drive time show Monday through Friday, 4 to 6, on the major Christian station in Minneapolis-St. Paul. He said his father, who is an atheist, agnostic, had a friend at dinner. The man was coughing. He went in the bathroom, wasn't saved. They didn't come back. Went in the bathroom. He was dead. He had choked to death on a piece of steak. How would that man know that dinner that night that he would go into a Christless eternity? And yet sitting at that table was another man who believed not and yet would not return to Christ, would not come to Christ. But by forgiving my father, it's taken a great emotional burden off me because I've obeyed the Lord and said, I forgive you, Dad. And many of you here today are hurt by your fathers or your wives have been hurt by your husbands or some of you have been hurt by your boyfriends. You did not have the kind of dad or father or husband that God wanted you to be. But right now I want that to change, and God does. Please, would all of you just bow your heads right now and close your eyes. And this is a holy moment. Don't look around, please. Please keep your eyes closed and head bowed. I want to pray, as I feel God has led me here today, to pray for you asking your father and telling your father that you forgive him what he did to you. Even if your father's deceased, like mine is, if your father's alive, still pray this prayer. And my hope is if you pray this prayer, you'll even take the time to go see your father to tell him to his face you love him and you've forgiven him. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. It's a very holy moment. Do not look around, please. I'm going to do a couple of things here that God has led me here for today. If you've experienced any kind of abuse by your father, unkindness, God forbid, emotional, sexual, whatever, verbally putting you down, not showing love. Men or women, doesn't matter. Right now with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you want to just take this moment, you've maybe never done it clearly before, but you want to do it now. And God wants you to do it now. He says, as much as you've been forgiven, you need to forgive others. Will you just raise your hand? I want every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's looking around. If you want to forgive your father, he's done something to you. None of us are perfect, but did something that you need to forgive him, and maybe you haven't, or you need to do it again. Will you just raise your hand and keep it up for a minute? Pastor Andy, come up. Please keep it up. Please, Andy, please come up. Please keep your hand up. I want your pastor to know who he's praying for. Okay, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. I'm raising my hand, folks. I'm raising my hand. There's a lot of people raising their hand here, okay? You can put it down. Those of you that raised your hand, a lot of you did. A lot of you, you can put your hands down. A lot of you did. I want you to pray this prayer right now privately to yourself. It's not the words, but it's the intent of your heart. And then when I get done praying this prayer, I want you to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I have another question for all of you. But many of you raise your hand who have been hurt by your fathers. We just pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you are a perfect father. I know that the song we sang this morning, oh, how you love me. So God, I know you love me. And God, I didn't have a perfect father like you. My father hurt me in many ways, Lord, you know. But God, right now I want to bring my bitterness, my unforgiveness, my hurts, my memories, all before you, Lord. Before your throne. 
And Lord, I want to forgive my father right now. I want to say, Dad, husband, father, whatever, I forgive what you did to me. I will not carry the burden of unforgiveness anymore. I take it off me and I lay it at the cross of Jesus. I lay it at the cross of Jesus. Those memories, that unforgiveness, that hurt. And Lord, I'm set free from bitterness. I have been set free by you and your Holy Spirit. And I thank you by faith at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Every head bow, every eye closed. I want to now ask the most important question of all. Do you know Jesus? All I see when I'm in hotels and restaurants, I told Irina and Andy this yesterday, all I see is souls. As an evangelist, I can't help but know that everyone's going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. For the believer in Christ to be absent of the body is immediately to be present with the Lord. But the Bible says the non-believer at death, then comes judgment. What my father experienced in 1955, dropping dead in the kitchen. And my dear godly mother in 1991 would die going to be with the Lord in her illness. Right now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, at this Father's Day, the perfect Father God is calling you if you don't know Him. He wants you to be His child. He wants none to perish. And He says that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This morning, if you're not sure you're saved, you've never asked Christ to be your Father, your Lord and Savior, but you want to be right now, what better day than Father's Day? Because God is the only perfect Father. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to call you up front. Just raise your hand, we're going to pray for you. Anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ, not certain of your salvation, will you raise your hand? Then let me ask, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you right there. Anyone else? I'm going to give one more chance here, and I've got a second question. For the man who raised his hand, you can put your hand down. I'm going to pray right now for you. We just pray this prayer privately to yourself. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you are God. I know that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me, that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And Lord, right now, I open up my heart, because Jesus, you say, I stand at your heart's door and I'm knocking. If anybody will hear my voice and open up their heart, I'll come and live with them. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to be Lord of my life. And right this moment, come in and forgive me. And God, by faith to the trueness of your word, I thank you for having done that right now. And that I am born again your child. Amen. Last prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're not living for the Lord. The Bible says you've grieved or quenched him. We've all done it. I can't tell you how many times I've wept before the Lord saying, God, how can you forgive Paul Ridgeway? The Apostle Paul said he was the greatest sinner of all. But some of you have lost your first love. Jesus Christ is not on the center of your heart anymore. Other things have gotten in the way. You cannot serve two masters. Jesus said you'll love one and despise the other. But right now, if you want to come back into fellowship, you're saved, but you're not in fellowship. You're grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. But right now, this Father's Day, you want to come back to your father and make him the center of your life. I'm going to pray a prayer for you, but I want you to raise your hand and tell me. Raise your hand. If you want to come back into the fellowship of Christ, you grieved and quenched the Spirit, raise it high so I can see it. Many of you, keep raising your hands. It's okay. Many of you. Many of you. Many of you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray the last prayer. And then I'm just going to read a poem. And I want to thank you for letting me be here. Heavenly Father, for those who raise their hands right now, 
they have admitted they've grieved or quenched you, but Holy Spirit, you're drawing them back to you. So Lord, right now, I ask him to say this prayer to you in sincerity and truth. Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you. I've grieved and quenched your spirit, but not making you number one in my life. But right now, Lord, I ask you to come back and be on the throne of my life. Control my thoughts, emotions, and everything I say and do. And I thank you, Lord, that you're always faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.